Hello, good morning. Good morning. Aha, great. Uh, I can hear you. All right. Okay, I think I can hear and see everybody. Captain Umar, thank you for joining in. It's a pleasure. Nick Johnson, thank you for joining in. Fataya Tonda, thank you. Sonny Dachaba, um, I'm trying to get this name from Child and Youth Protection Foundation. Thank you for joining in. Well, can you hear me? I, I just want to be sure that everybody can hear me loud and clear before I start. I can hear you. Great. Sunny Dachaba, can you hear me? Um, a few people just called in that they will be a little behind shadow. Okay, we have uh, Ekomoda Balogun also here with us now. So I guess we can start. Again, good morning. You're all welcome to yet another edition of the Response Strategy organized by NOI Polls. Um, for those of you who are not conversant with us, we are a data and um, survey company. We mine data. We look at social and developmental issues, trending issues across Nigeria and across Africa, and we talk about those issues. And um, on this edition, the um, interactive discourse session where we talk about um, topical issues, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, what we've termed extremist kidnap insecurity and the way forward. And um, this was actually motivated by a recent poll um, organized by NOI polls and CCDG Ghana um, for the Afrobarometer project, um, Solar 8. And um, we looked at, I mean, from the poll, it's, it's more about kidnap issues across Nigeria. Uh, we all know that you know, the extremist kidnap in Nigeria has actually become a trend in Nigeria. It's one thing for there to be kidnap issues. It's another thing for us to be led by extremists that are motivated by extremists. And this is what we've seen, especially in the last say, 10 years. I mean, we all remember the um, Chibok case that happened. Um, I think Chibok was 2014, where about 276 girls were kidnapped by the Boko Haram from their schools. Um, over Since the Chibok girls issue, we have seen a lot of other issues, um, a lot of other kidnap cases. In recent, you know, in recent days and weeks and months, it, it looks like it has been a daily occurrence. And unfortunately, Nigeria seems to have the highest, you know, kidnap for ransom cases globally. It's a national embarrassment. It's a global embarrassment for us. And so we're going to be talking about this issue today. Um, I have a few people who will be speaking to this today. I'm glad we have a, a, I'm sure a lot of other people will join us later. Um, I'm seeing some new faces that we're not used to here. Subduction of myself. I am Nelly Ohuche. I am head corporate communications NOI polls. Um, speaking today would be um, Colonel Umar. Colonel Umar has become a regular for us at the Response Strategy and at NOI. Um, Captain Umar Ali Babangida, he's an ex military intelligence officer and he is the CEO of Gold Waters and River Sand. Colonel Umar, you're welcome. Good morning, Captain Umar. Captain Umar, sorry, forgive me. It's all right. Okay, we also have, uh, and he's retired. Sorry, he's not a 
serving is a civilian like us. <laughs> okay, we also have Air Commodore Abayomiba Lugo. He is a former Deputy Director of Operations in the Air Force and um, a fighter pilot. He's also the author of the Nigerian Air War in Sierra Leone and the founder of Green Heroes Foundation. He is also retired. You're welcome, sir. We call him the general. General, you're welcome, sir. General Balogo, are you here? Okay, I know he's here somewhere. I can see him here. Okay, um, part of the media panel that we'll be having today will be from WeFM, and it will be the station manager, WeFM. He's also a broadcast journalist. He is Camry Apollo. He just called in to say he's in traffic, and he'll join us in five minutes. We also have um, the features editor for Blueprint newspaper. He is Sonny Idachaba. I'm here. Can you hear me? Idachaba, good to have you. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Thank you. I'm here. All right. So we'll um, cut to the chase. Um, I'm sorry again that we started late, later than we planned. We had some technical issues we had to deal with. Okay. So I would want to actually start with um, us looking at how we got to where we are today. Um, like I said, it's, it's a really embarrassing situation that we found ourselves with the spate of kidnaps. And we've, we've seen a lot of um, a few issues where, you know, we were told that, you know, ransoms were not paid. We've also seen a few issues, um, situations where we were told that probably that the government negotiated with these, um, uh, I'm trying not to call them bandits because, I mean, this has actually gone way beyond banditry. This is organized crime and terrorism, as it were. And um, this is a serious concern for all of us. So, would want to first even, you know, uh, interrogate the situation and, you know, find out how we got to, you know, this level of terrorism that we see today. And um, being an intelligence, an ex-intelligence officer, we want Captain Umar to give us a brief of how we got to this point. Captain Umar. Well, if you look at... Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Uh, good morning. All right. If you look at the trend of events from where it started up to where we have gotten, you are going to see certain lines of similitude or recurrence that are glaring. The first is the bandits, the insurgents, or whatever threat forms that you talk about are given to crudities. In fact, our armed forces below them, our formations, their strength and equipment levels is no match for this, uh, for this uh, what I want to call brigands. They don't really have the firepower per se, nor do they even have the strength to actually withstand what we have as our armed forces. Even the armed forces is an overkill for these people. If we really had a homeland security force or even a cogent and well-equipped police force, they would have pocketed these localists and, and, and crudely driven people. But the reason why you are seeing what we have today is anchored in three basic things. The first one is lethargy. Lethargy on the part of the 
liturgy on the part of our politicians. And liturgy itself is driven by one other thing, which is the second thing, a nil results trajectory. We are not given to measuring anything in this part of the world, and that is tragic. And if you do not measure anything, you cannot control it. So basically, if we were results-driven across all ministries, departments, and agencies, then we cannot escape from measuring results. Measuring results is about using numbers. The third thing that actually makes this very cheap little mega problem seemingly intractable and even as I speak, embarrassingly a national security threat. <laughs> they are nowhere near what we should even a local threat. But as it were, they are now a national security threat. And the third reason was about being serious. If you look at the trend of events and still trending, you find out that we don't negotiate with these people actually. We just call it negotiation. We indulge them. Our politicians are indulgent when it comes to dealing with crime and belling our cats. So you see a situation where a gallant soldier or a gallant policeman goes out there to give his all. And suddenly one politician wants to call them to the table, give them all the media hype and respect, and sit them down in front of these soldiers and negotiate. Having negotiated, they are given humongous cash rewards. And these cash rewards rubbish what that soldier who is putting his life at stake will get, even if he served for donkey years and retired meritoriously. So if we were to weigh and measure how the <clears throat> average political mind or the average politician's mind works, in this country, given that line or approach to solve problem solving, you see that as far as insurgency, kidnaps, banditry, call it what you will, is concerned, our politicians are not an asset to the fight against these crimes. Um, from the way you have said it, uh, Captain Umar, it, it looks like a case of sabotage on the part of the... Um, Probably the government, as it were, whether whether at the federal level or at the state level, because if you say um, the Nigerian military, as it were, has terms of technicalities and you know the wherewithal to deal with these people, and yet this isn't happening. Um, I, okay, we also look at the issue of willpower from the government. So this is obviously a case of sabotage. Yes, when you look at it, you could say it's a case of sabotage particularly when the saboteurs are not even conscious that they are saboteurs. It's like taking one step forward and 20 steps backward. The way our politicians indulge these renegades is so lucrative that fallow-minded youth on the outskirts and what I want to call rural areas cannot but, given the present economic and sociocultural challenges, begin to aspire to join these people. 
And if you look critically at what's happening, even the tranche of money these people receive, you begin to wonder, what do they do with it? Do they spend it there in the forests? Do they buy cars and houses out there in the forest? I doubt it. So where is the money going to? Who are at the receiving end of these tranches of cash that are being given? So basically, when you look at it, we go back to a question I asked sometime in 2016. I asked directly, Mr. President, where is the law on sabotage? We're still silent about that. And that to itself is worrisome. Okay. Um, Now that we know that um, it's not like people have more, you know, firepower than we have in terms of equipment, and we have also looked at the issue of a possible sabotage, as it were. Um, even if we have to take sabotage away from it, but when our military gets to where these people are, why is it difficult for them to, um, I'm, I'm trying not to use the word totally eliminate them or haven't won this war over, you know, over these years? Why do we keep having these reoccurrences? Because whether there's a willpower or not, if we have the technical equipment to get these things sorted out, whether it is the, the foot soldiers, whether it is the Air Force, as it were, um, I, I think we should be able to do the job whether or not there is some level of sabotage coming from the government. Because you have said it is not a case of us not having enough equipment to do. Indeed. It's not about not having enough equipment, but then the will to do it is flawed. And I'll explain it to you. Let me use examples the average listener can connect with. The one biggest mistake we have made, particularly our politicians, again, is to politicize this situation. And by so doing trivialize our armed forces. Our armed forces, as we have them, can wipe the slate clean, but having wiped the slate clean and given that parcel of location or land back to constituted authority, what do you see happening? You see lethargy and nil results approach to problem solving, grinding. What am I trying to say? Take the North East for the armed forces has a play in ensuring that our territorial integrity is rid of bandits. But what else do other security agencies have to play? Do the armed forces become the customs? Do the armed forces become the police force? Do the armed forces become... Look, fighting crime is one big all-inclusive party. So this, this actually brings us to a case of a joint task force, which would comprise of you know, both the three arms of the armed forces, um, the police, like you had said, the customs, the immigrations, it's all um, all hands on deck. Why is it difficult for us to see the synergy between all the arms of the, of, of the military and all of those extensions around them? Who are, because even when we look at the, you know, the military as it were, and we see the job that they do, we still have to also look at immigration and customs because these people, um, we have, you know, these people migrate from one end of, uh, even beyond Nigeria, one end of Africa to the other. And a lot of this is a fallout of what we've seen in Libya. A lot of this is a fallout of what we've seen in um, 
Sudan, and the rest of the you know African um, African countries around that, that that are troubled. So it is a joint. For, why is there? Why do we not see this um, synergy between all of this? Is this is there intelligence sharing amongst the? Um, you know, all of these people. And um, we're going to get to the media people who are on this platform, which is Camry and Sonny Dachaba, in a few minutes, and they're going to be asking a lot of the questions. Um, but I, I need you to talk about this first. And, you know, we'll also see if um, if Ekomodar Bayomi is also on standby. So let, let's, see, let's hear from you. What is this whole uh, um, joint four thing? Why is it not happening as it should happen? There is a joint task force on ground. No doubt about it. Why are we not getting results? The results are not coming because, as I told you, the politicians we have, the caliber, the quality of politics we'll play here is in itself detrimental to the narrative. We need to fight this thing right from the political to the strategic to the operational down to the tactical grounds. And you see, the armed forces itself is subordinate to what? Civil authority. And what we need to do is to first and foremost get leaders, politicians particularly, who are ready to bail cats, who don't go to these people till in between the legs and use rhetorics like negotiation. We have gone past negotiation. Intelligence sharing, if you put the best intelligence before a politician who is not intelligent, you're not going to get the wheel and the drive required to do what you need to do. So I would want to push um, this back to our media a media persons to, you know, ask the questions. Um, like we said, what we're looking at is, you know, extremist kidnap, insecurity, and the way forward. So let's let's um, let's continue on that line of, uh, you know, thoughts. I'm I'm going to push this to Sonny Dachaba just to ask the question. But just before you 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 say anything, I want to be sure um, Ekomoda Bayomi is here. If he's here, I would like to hear him um, signify. General, are you here? Hello? Okay. While we're waiting for him to join in, um, Sonny Dachaba would um, we'll push, the, the, we'll push this to you. Okay, thank you very much, Nelly. Thank you. Uh, Captain, good morning. Can you hear me very good well? Good morning. I can hear you. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for the analysis. I just want to draw you back a little. Please, as someone that had been in the armed forces before, you can compare the past and the present. At what point do you think we got to where we are today? Uh, the problem actually started, if I can put it aptly, when we returned to democratic governance. Don't forget, that it's the same Nigeria, nothing different, the same armed forces, the same police. There has been hitherto a cohesion within the armed forces that at the moment is being tampered with politically. I repeat, there has been hitherto a cohesion within the armed forces 
that at the moment is being tampered with politically. You see, effective May 29th, when we return to civil rule, which is good, the armed forces itself becomes or became subordinate to civil authority. Now, the problem with civil authority is we elect those whom we want to lead us, but we do not necessarily induct them. See, to lead a country like Nigeria, which has a lot of strategic implications, economic, political, sociocultural, and what have you, I doubt if the intelligence community in this country inducts and follows up post-induction on politicians. A lot of them don't even know what national security really is all about. I see a lot of them speak, and I know they've never heard of the Official Secrets Act. So basically, if your enemy were listening, he will actually, what comes across to him are the lacuna, the deficits and the weaknesses these statements imply, and he exploits them. And no part of Nigeria, no part of Nigeria is spared the negative effects of these deficits as I speak. We go after shenanigans like ethnicity, religion, region, and all those you know, little, little mundane issues that dilute our standing as a people nationally. So basically, when you see the way things are being done, you discover that even the military is not spared. Let me give you a typical example. When someone sits down as a leader, a politician, and moves before the house, incentives for what you call repentant terrorists. I've never heard that term in my life before. Exactly. You, want, you want to send repentant terrorists abroad, Mr. Politician. Something is wrong with me. I am no one. Something is wrong with my head. I, I think I'm crazy. And you actually no, I'm crazy. I had properly, but I'm not well. And you ask, but you actually expect another politician who was elected in another country to accept repentant terrorists on scholarship in his own country so that they can come and malign people? That's you enough. actually want to give repentant terrorists another lease of life, and you place them on allowances. When the IDP of victims of these terrorists, when, so as I was saying, when we... So I would want to push um, this back to our media, our media persons to, you know, ask the questions. Um, like we said, what we're looking at is, you know, extremist kidnap insecurity and the way forward so let's let's um let's continue on that line of uh, you know thoughts i'm, I'm going to push this to sonny dachaba just to ask the question but just before you 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 say anything i want to be sure um is here if he's here i would like to hear him um signify general are you here hello okay while we're waiting for him to join in, um, Sonny Dachaba will um, we'll push the, the we'll push this to you. Okay, thank you very much, Nelly. Thank you, uh, Captain. Good morning. Can you hear me very good well? Good morning. I can hear you. Go ahead. 
Thank you very much. Um, thank you for the analysis. I just want to bring you back a little. Please, as someone that had been in the armed forces before, you can compare the past and the present. At what point do you think we got to where we are today? Uh, the problem actually started, if I can put it aptly, when we returned to democratic governance. Don't forget that it's the same Nigeria, nothing different, the same armed forces, the same police. There has been hitherto a cohesion within the armed forces that at the moment is being tampered with politically. I repeat, there has been hitherto a cohesion within the armed forces that at the moment is being tampered with politically. You see, effective May 29th, when we return to civil rule, which is good, the armed forces itself becomes or became subordinate to civil authority. Now, the problem with civil authority is we elect those whom we want to lead us, but we do not necessarily induct them. See, to lead a country like Nigeria, which has a lot of strategic implications, economic, political, sociocultural, and what have you, I doubt if the intelligence community in this country inducts and follows up post-induction on politicians. A lot of them don't even know what national security really is all about. I see a lot of them speak, and I know they've never heard of the Official Secrets Act. So basically, if your enemy were listening, he will actually, what comes across to him are the lacuna, the deficits and the weaknesses these statements imply, and he exploits them. And no part of Nigeria, no part of Nigeria is spared the negative effects of these deficits as I speak. We go after shenanigans like ethnicity, religion, region, and all those you know, little, little mundane issues that dilute our standing as a people nationally. So basically, when you see the way things are being done, you discover that even the military is not spared. Let me give you a typical example. When someone sits down as a leader, a politician, and moves before the house, incentives for what you call repentant terrorists. I've never heard that term in my life before. Exactly. You, want, you want to send repentant terrorists abroad, Mr. Politician. Something is wrong with me. I'm, no, I'm, something is wrong with my head. I, I think I'm crazy. And you have to no, I'm crazy. I had properly, but I'm not well. <laughs> and you ask, but you actually expect another politician who was elected in another country to accept repentant terrorists on scholarship in his own country so that they can come and malign people. So I would want to push um, this back to our media our media persons to you know ask the questions. Um, like we said, what we're looking at is, you know, extremist kidnap, insecurity, and the way forward. So let's let's um, let's continue on that line of 
uh, you know, thoughts. I'm, I'm going to push this to Sonny Dachaba just to ask the question. But just before you, you, you say anything, I want to be sure um, Ekomoda Bayomi is here. If he's here, I would like to hear him um, signify. General, are you here? Hello? Okay. While we're waiting for him to join in, um, Sonny Dachaba would... Um, We'll push the, the we'll push this to you. Okay, thank you very much, Nelly. Thank you, uh, Captain. Good morning. Can you hear me very good well? Good morning. I can hear you. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for the analysis. I just want to bring you back a little, please. As someone that had been in the armed forces before, you can compare the past and the present. At what point do you think we got to where we are today? Uh, the problem actually started, if I can put it aptly, when we returned to democratic governance. Don't forget that it's the same Nigeria, nothing different. The same armed forces, the same police. There has been hitherto a cohesion within the armed forces that at the moment is being tampered with politically. I repeat, there has been hitherto a cohesion within the armed forces that at the moment is being tampered with politically. You see, effective May 29th, when we return to civil rule, which is good, the armed forces itself becomes or became subordinate to civil authority. Now, the problem with civil authority is we elect those whom we want to lead us, but we do not necessarily induct them. See, to lead a country like Nigeria, which has a lot of strategic implications, economic, political, sociocultural, and what have you, I doubt if the intelligence community in this country inducts and follows up post-induction on politicians. A lot of them don't even know what national security really is all about. I see a lot of them speak, and I know they've never heard of the Official Secrets Act. So basically, if your enemy were listening, he will actually, what comes across to him are the lacuna, the deficits and the weaknesses these statements imply and he exploits them. And no part of Nigeria, no part of Nigeria is spared the negative effects of these deficits as I speak. We go after shenanigans like ethnicity, religion, region, and all those you know, little, little mundane issues that dilute our standing as a people nationally. So basically, when you see the way things are being done, you discover that even the military is not spared. Let me give you a typical example. When someone sits down as a leader, a politician, and moves before the house, incentives for what you call repentant terrorists. I've never heard that term in my life before. Exactly. You want you want to send repentant terrorists abroad, Mr. Politician. Something is wrong with me. I'm no, I'm, something is wrong with my head. I, I think I'm crazy. 
and you have told no, I'm crazy. I had properly, <laughs> but I'm not well. And you ask, but you actually expect another politician who was elected in another country to accept repentant terrorists on scholarship in his own country so that they can come and malign people? That's you actually enough. want to give repentant terrorists another lease of life and you place them on allowances? Great. Um, earlier I was asking Captain Umar, um, I, I wanted to know the efforts of the Joint Task Force is in a situation like this where we have this bandits and considering their terrain, you have been in the Air Force and an Air Force fighter over the years. You have fought in wars across Africa. Where does this joint force or how do you think we do enough in terms of, you know, a joint task force, which, which combines the three arms of the, of, of the military and an extension of the other paramilitary service? Where does it come or do you think we have done enough in terms of um, using this joint task force in this fight against terrorism and especially in the issues of extremist kidnap? Okay, thank you very much. Uh... The joint tax force that we claim to have now is only a joint tax force on paper. Uh, in my own opinion, is not in practice because uh, if we remember yesterday, like you said, uh, we have fought wars in the past. We fought in Liberia and Sierra Leone. That was joint tax force. Today, we don't have such cohesion and synergy among the armed forces because uh, the army is doing one thing, the air force is doing other things, and then you want to get results. No. Currently, we are operating in a segmental approach where the whole nation is segmented. The army might be taking glory somewhere in the Northeast. The Air Force is taking glory in the Northwest. But until we set up that joint tax force properly, that when the army is moving, the Air Force is there. If we need the Navy, the Navy Special Boat Services are there. And together, we can concentrate our efforts and get the job done quick. But now we have spread ourselves so thinly on the ground, and then it might be difficult to achieve what we want speedily. And uh, if uh, we continue the way we are, maybe the petition of uh, General Pratai that will still be here for 20 years uh, might come to fruition. But then there is a way forward, uh, because the new team that I've just taken over now I promise that they will work as a joint team. I can say that if they agree to work as a joint team like we did in Liberia and Sierra Leone, where there was no Air Force, there was no Navy or Army, we were the armed forces of Nigeria. If we can go back then to that format, then we might be able to achieve in due time. However, uh, even the joint tax force alone will not do the trick. They must be well equipped, enough manpower and equipment. And what I'm seeing in the war against banditry, terrorism, everything, like Captain Umar said, we don't have the resources to cover the whole Nigeria. So what do you do? Look for technology and change your tactics because there are technologies in this world today that if you key into them, a piece of equipment can do what the battalion will do for you, battalion of soldiers. So I'm, I'm not, I'm so surprised that we are not uh, uh, imbibing the culture of technology. That is what is reigning in the whole world. How does America identify uh, 
whoever they want to identify anywhere across the world is technology. Those technologies are around the world, which we can buy and put to use. And then I assure you that we can get the job done. And then a multi-agency approach will also work because like I said, the, everybody is fighting his own war until we come together like the president uh, prescribed in the national security strategy of 2019, that it should be an all-inclusive approach. No part of the nation, no segment of the armed forces do it alone. So it is when we agree that all MDAs, military department agencies, NGOs, traditional uh, traditional uh, rulers and religious leaders are all working together under one umbrella with a common goal. Even individuals are encouraged to join the team because uh, it's our problem, is our nation. All of us must key into it, support the armed forces, support every other person, then we will achieve. And I also want to advise the military itself because, uh, yes, there are different tactics when you are confronted with different challenges. But then the current approach to both banditry and uh, insurgency, for me, is not yielding enough. So we must sit down and look at, we have tried this approach, it's not working. Why don't we try another approach? If I look at Boko Haram today, I see Boko Haram that has evolved over the ages because... Uh, when they first started, they were using clubs, machetes, little, little things to just distract people and create panic. But today, what are they doing? They have stepped up. They now use AK-47, they have anti-aircraft guns, and they were employing asymmetric warfare tactics. But today, they take the battle to us. They come to our barracks and dare us. So, if we are fighting them conventionally, why don't we also start fighting them unconventionally? There are a lot of things we can do, but we need to sit down and think, we strategize and plan the best way forward. It's possible that Nigeria will survive, but then we need to sit down and think. That's what okay, I have. Thank, thank you very much, um, General. Um, I will push these questions to Kamri Apollo from VFM. But just before I, I get Kamri in, Kamri, one minute, please. Um, like you've said, it, it doesn't look like, um, is it a case of the military, as it were, being overwhelmed? Um, because when you look at the way that things, things are going and we look at um, how this war, as it were, is being, we see that there are targets here. Today it's in, in Kaduna, the next day it's in Niger, the next day. So as the targets or as this kidnaps, as it were, happens, the military moves to you know, these places and they push their troops from here to here. Shouldn't we be looking at a holistic situation where there's a, it, it, like you had said, tactics, some strategy on ground at a national level, not, you know, when the deed has been done and the milk has been spilled, you know, shouldn't there be a way we can do this? Or is it a case of the military, as it were, being overwhelmed to the point where we might, we should be asking for some support from the international community, as it were, should that be the case? Okay, thank you very much. Uh, you see, in the past, the security of Nigeria has been left in the hands of the armed forces and police alone. Uh, what I think we should do, based on the directive from the National Security Strategy, is to get everybody involved. Everybody must be involved. And how do you achieve that? 
In America, they have the structure of the homeland security. Yes, we may look at it as a big project, but we must start it at our own level, where everybody will be committed, and it will be headed by somebody who is influential, where everybody can listen to, who is motivational that everybody can follow. And then we key in all our resources. The country is so big and challenges are everywhere. So how does the armed forces alone cover the whole nation? I doubt they can do that because then okay. we, you will not have enough resources to do that. But then, like I said earlier, if we employ technology, it will go a long way in reducing the stress on the armed forces. They are overwhelmed. You can't tell anything about that. They are totally overwhelmed because look at the size of Nigeria. Look at the population of the armed forces and police. Can this, uh, can they totally cover Nigeria? It's not possible. So we must sit down. Everybody, every agency, every organization of government must accept that we have a role to play in securing our nation and then we'll move for that. But then the way we are right now is still not the best way. I think we should go back and sit down and rethink and reply. All right. Um, all right, General. Thank you. I will push the questions to um, Camry Apollo, his head station, VFM. Camry, the ball is in your court now. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Nelly. Thank you to Annie Whitehalls. And um, greetings to General Abayomi Logum and um, Captain Elihu Umar. Please accept my apologies, everyone else, and uh, my cousin from Blueprint as well. Accept my apologies for joining late. Um, I think, uh, uh, you know, the parts of what I heard, the uh, conversations I heard from um, Captain Umar and uh, General Baluga there, I think they're right on the money. But from the media perspective, we have the privilege of not only setting an agenda, I think, you know, the media can improve. Uh, we can do a lot more in this fight against uh, terrorism. And here's the reason why. Um, many students of uh, different terrorism studies will tell you it is very important for you to secure victory. It's very important to get the people on your side. It's called winning the hearts and minds. But if you look at Nigeria today, uh, your polls clearly indicated a very, there's a high percentage of people who are very, very fearful for their lives, their concerns. And uh, if you read the rhetorics in the public, many people do not believe the government has the ability to overcome the crime and criminality in the land. And that's a problem. Because again, one of the strategies for beating terrorism is winning the hearts and minds of the people, because you will need information, just like uh, General Abayami um, Balogun said there, mere boots on the ground alone is not going to cut it. We need technology. We need better identity management. We need a better uh, sense of uh, confidence in the people. Uh, this is how we fight terrorism. It's not just the, you know, the kinetic aspect, the physical aspect. It's everything. But I fear that um, you know, because we are in a democratic dispensation, just like Captain Anu pointed out there, it says you can trace the shift to when we switched from military to democratic uh, rule or leadership. Um, there's a bit too much politics there in our security in the country. Because again, um, countries are able to overcome security challenges when they deploy all their resources. And the most important resources when it comes to fighting crime and criminality is information which you will get from the everyday Nigerian. Just like General Abamir said, um, I keep reminding my listeners, there is no country on the face of the earth, absolutely none, that has the numbers of security agents that they can attach one security agent to one citizen to keep the country safe. So how then do countries keep themselves safe? 
it's not about, uh, you know, one policeman to 400 members of the uh, citizen. Uh, one policeman, one human being, literally, let's be honest with ourselves, one human being cannot supervise 400 people. There is something else that helps that policeman maintain law and order. So these are the things we are missing. The, the politicization of our crime and criminality. And if you look at the state of security, uh, what I try to remind people is this. Uh, people call up and ask very simple questions. Who is causing this? Who is the sponsor of that? Sometimes the answers are not as clear cut as we would like them to be. There might be a principal driver of crime and criminality, but unfortunately, because we have many ungoverned spaces in the country, our border management is poor, you know, given the fact that we're the most populous nation, it has uh, uh, economic as well as security implications. Uh, so if you want to point a finger and find out who is the cause of this, who's pointing out, it's difficult because in a security situation, a criminal would take advantage to profit. His motivation is, I just want money. And we also have other things. Politics, we have seen in the past as media, has played a role in insecurity in this country. Political thugs and so on and so forth. And um, let's not forget our usual suspects. We have our ethno-religious uh, hang-ups as well. All these things key into many security situations that it's very difficult for you to point the finger and say, A is the cause of B. So it, it, it's a complicated thing. And um, just like I heard mentioned as well before, Captain, that you mentioned something, there's a, a you know, interagency rivalry is weakening our position. The political rhetoric is weakening our position. Uh, we in the media, uh, you know, uh, again, again, we tend to find certain claims which take away from the core problems. I choose, and I try to remind my listeners every time I interact with them, to please treat crime as a crime. Leave the ethnic and religious labels out of it. A criminal is a criminal. Wrong is wrong, right is right. We need to set aside the noise. But the political rhetoric that seems to be driving these divisive sentiments amongst us so that we can do better. But again, just, um, uh, you know, like uh, some of your, your speakers have said here, the esteemed gentlemen amongst us, um, if we're to overcome the security, we need to get our resources working. Infrastructure is a huge challenge. For example, the, the ability of the military to pursue beyond a certain point, it's, it, it's, it's a bit difficult. Um, uh, arm and armament, it's difficult as well. Then there's the morale of the troops. That one, you and I, the everyday Nigerian, we affect the morale of our troops because we keep saying, oh, they're not doing anything, they're chopping money. These blanket statements, you know, it's not helping the morale of the troops. And then the political speak amongst us is keeping the people fearful and afraid. So information that should come from the people to fight crime and criminality in the country is not forthcoming. The uh, civil military relations is another very important aspect. Now, the military has been talking about this for the last uh, few years, but we need to see that tempo increased because a healthy relationship between the people and the military means better security for everyone else. But in a case where, for example, the NSAS protest, that was a turning point for us in our lives as a country. A, a case where you see, uh, you know, military or paramilitary treating civilians wrongly. The implication of that is information that should come to the security agencies to aid them in their work will not be forthcoming. Anywhere in the world, it's intelligent. Security is intelligence driven. But we are still stuck in the stage of catch somebody, beat them into a confession. We need to move beyond that. Crime has evolved. Criminality has evolved. General Balongu said this, you know, watching Boko Haram, the terrorists, they have evolved. They've even splintered into different actions. A few years ago, um, myself and the late Dr. Amechi Mokolo, we warned 
We warned about the possible fracture of the terrace in the northeast because uh, Mohammed Yusuf, his son, you know, I choose not to name them. He posed the greater threat. The Shekau, you know, that's just a rabid dog that can be put down. The greater danger was the person who was trying to win the hearts and minds of the people in the northeast. It got to a stage where he would raid villages, take their livestock, and in some cases, when you go to raid villages for food, they would compensate them with some things. So these are the dangerous things. Basically, they were acting as a government to some of these places they were trying to take over. And that's dangerous for our government. So good governance is also another effective tool in combating crime. So I, I think we're in a very difficult situation, but the greatest noise is uh, politics. We need to set politics aside. Okay. We need to set it aside and face the situation, the crime. Let's take the crime head on. Let's sit down. The whole family is in trouble right now. It's not one part of the family that's going to suffer. It's the entire family. We need to create a space to sit down and have a conversation devoid of politics. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Kamri. Um, we, we see the perspective from where you, you're coming from. And um, considering, you know, you're, you're also from this part of the world and you see these things firsthand. We've seen the issues that have happened, a lot of what has happened in Adamawa State, where is, as it were, your constituency. And um, the killings and all that has happened in, in, you know, the last few years has been terrible. Um, it is quite unfortunate. You know, we talked about, um, the, you know, civil military intelligence or civil military relationship as it were. And, and like you, you, you rightly pointed out, I, I think the most of last year, this we are part of the conversations we also had with um, um, Dr. Wokolo, bless of blessed memory. Um, and these we are, you know, how do we build this relationship between, you know, the civilians and the military to the point where they would be willing to, you know, give up information as it were. So I'm going to push this question to Captain Umar. Um, where does intelligence, you know, how um, can we say that this has lingered this long because of, you know, failure in lack of intelligence gathering and, you know, uh, the civil military relations? Does it have anything to do with how far this has lingered and why we were getting the kind of, um, the kind of, uh, what's the word now, reports that we're getting, results that we're getting? Civil military relations is important. But trust me, it's not a hindrance to intelligence gathering. But trust me, it's not a hindrance to effective, timely intelligence gathering. Let me tell you something about Africa, pre-colonial Africa. No, let me call it a colonial Africa. Most of our African brother nations that fought for their independence, fought against the military forces of their colonial masters. The Mao Mao people of Kenya, for example, there was no civil military relations between the locals and the military. But those military forces, as backward as they were then, were very, very apt with intelligence. The same thing with the South African, the South Africans during the, after the fight for the, the anti-apartheid war. Military civil relations is important here in Nigeria. But trust me, when it comes to intelligence gathering, our security agencies tend to miss a crucial point, which I mentioned earlier, numbers. Our security agencies tend to be allergic to numbers. They are allergic to figures. And if you don't measure anything, you cannot control it. Intelligence and intelligence 
information is just about observation and frequency. I tell you, if you can measure things like I do, I have a love for numbers. So basically, if you measure things over a period of time, you're going to see trends. For example, I won't want to divulge this here, but I can tell you Boko Haram has a design for battle. They have favored timings for attack. And there is a way they come and a way they do things. Based on what I know, I can bait them. I give you a mild example. They tend to like to debunk anything any senior chieftain says security-wise. So if a big shot, a general says we can do X, Y, Z, they come out tomorrow and do something to counter that claim. Now, can't you bait them that way? I can bait them that way and they'll swallow it hook, line, and sinker. And there are so many other things. And how do I know these things? Facts. Facts I have reduced to numbers, to dates, to timings within the 24-hour bracket of one day, to even seasons. So basically, intelligence, civil-military relations is not key to intelligence gathering. Whether the populace is hostile, or friendly, or even neutral, you will gather intelligence if you are up to it and you know what to do. All right, um, we are going to preview two things. Um, first, it will be a short video. The NOI polls team went to town. So aside our polls uh, that was conducted, we also went to town to ask about kidnapping um, in not just, I mean, the, the, the whole issue of kidnapping. And we've got a few people to talk, you know, and you talked about kidnapping. We're just going to look at it so that we have this last conversations based on the findings of the poll. So we're going to take the preview of the video. Um, just give me one minute. Jumobi, are we ready? Basically, that poll would um, just look at what Nigerians think. And... You know, because it cuts across, you know, people from different strata, we see what their take is on the, the issues of kidnapping. The concerns are general. It's a concern that affects everybody. So whether we say, you know, the most of the kidnap that we hear about is in the, in the far north, or we say it's, you know, on Lagos Ipadon Expressway, the thing is, it is here with us and we need to do something at a national level to deal with this level of, um, I, I'm trying not to call it banditry, of criminality that we see. Um, can we have the, the video previewed, please? You've heard about uh, the increase uh, on kidnapping and attempted kidnapping in the country. So uh, I would like to ask you, Ma, uh, what is your take on this issue, Ma? Well, when you talk about kidnapping, if I hear the word kidnapping, I get very, very upset and angry. Well, it's a very bad situation, as of now in Nigeria. It's only God to save us. The federal government has to, though from what people are saying, I don't want to be biased or so, but they are saying that most of the security departments in Nigeria are headed by northern people. What do they do in Medukuri? E.G. when I go to Koto last time, I see what has happened there. Bandits do not hide themselves. They show government, they see us here, and you people cannot arrest them. And you were ready to say the truth, we are the suspects. Kidnapping have been going on for so long time now. 
I don't know what's happening presently that the present government cannot control insecurity. Made another reason I'm who know who they kidnap, 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 violate or kidnap. It go continue to increase. Seriously, it's really scary and not and people are not happy about it. Uh, actually, we we need security, more security men. My relative was a victim and we have to cough out four million naira in order to rescue him. At this heart, at the midst of that COVID-19, four solid million naira. They kidnapped my, my uncle and we paid the ransom of four million naira. After a year, they kidnapped my senior, my age mate, the son of the, my uncle. We paid after paying 10, 10 million, they killed him too. There was one of my pastor's mom that was kidnapped so it was a very tough situation because that was the first time you know i've been hearing about so i think maybe you know even this cardinal road i think maybe people are exaggerating but when it happened that particular time i knew that she went to her farm and then she was kidnapped so it's real i did not see anybody that kidnapped but if not kidnapping issue boko haram of 13 if nigeria want to dig the secret let them follow poor people he's a friend like i met him yesterday he told me that when he was in school, he, like, his girlfriend was kidnapped, she was killed. That's why he didn't even want to go to school again. So it's so pathetic. But, uh, I'm really concerned about it because actually, even though it did not happen to me or my person, mm -hmm. but I feel it to the people that it's happening to because it's not very, it's very bad because it's my relative. When they caught him along this uh, Buhari Aziz the other time about uh, two months ago, so they they call they, they, they call one of our uncle that we should we should bring a ransom of about 12 million to come and bail him out from there we're in not safe a specific place right now because one thing i know is it's going on all over the state especially north not which state in short i live not to face everything i believe not is not safe even we are not safe. And those can go to the, to the north and walk, and go to the west and walk. For this present government, they have fed everybody. I think all the security department, ministries and parasatals, they should just wake up and then, I think government should also use their soldiers, the army, and then I think finance them, just give them what, they, what it is, because this is about life and death. You understand, people just decide to make their own choice. If federal government can bring out work you understand you know employ people okay look at some days now you know some people go to school from this government if they like they made a high that way when they have so bad made a high to 500 you go survive the 2023 yeah, i know they will i know they expect any improvement from government too we need more security purposes more more um, uh, job uh, employment government should try and especially this community policing that are helping police in their work. The government should try and equip. So that was um, a, a short video that we did. We went to check the polls of the people as regards, um, you know, kidnapping. And, you know, it's obvious that Nigerians are concerned so when we also look at our polls, we see that Nigerians are also concerned um, about, you know, what is going on, you know, what's going on, whether we're in the South or in the East or in the West. The thing is, it is a national embarrassment. 
because wherever it is that you are these days, somehow it just gets to everybody. So um, we also want to preview the polls. Um, when we look at the poll, this is, um, this is a poll on kidnap, and um, we'll look at the concerns about kidnapping. 5% of our respondents say they're very concerned. Also concerns about kidnapping. Uh, we looked at it, you know, we looked at it from the point point of view of geopolitical regions and we see that from the from the northwest so we have 96 percent of nigerians saying they are very concerned about you know the state of kidnapping 96 that's practically everybody saying that you know they are concerned about the state of um, kidnap within their regions we'll look at also the northeast we have 89 percent that is also huge then that takes us to the North Central, which is at 87%, the Southeast, which is at 84%, South-South at 79%, and Southwest at 93%. So when I say that this cuts across, you know, geopolitical region, the issue is whether you are in the Southwest or you are in the Northwest, whether you are in um, Meiduguri or you are in Ibadan. We have, everybody seems to be very concerned about this issue. And having this much people being concerned, a lot of people are saying, what are the top, we also asked, what are the top 10, you know, most important problems Nigeria is facing? You know, and we looked at the case of, uh, I mean, it cuts from infrastructure to road, infrastructure and road, you know, also electricity, crime and security, which is, you know, which is also what we're looking at. So Nigerians are really concerned. So this actually takes us back to the last questions of what is the way forward. We've seen that Nigerians are concerned. We've, we've seen that the issues and the concerns of, you know, the kidnapping, and this is not just kidnapping on the, we, we are seeing it at another level, which is where, you know, um, which is, which is where these bandits coming to it, which is where extremists coming to it. And we're seeing, you know, them taking our children from the schools and all of that. So what do we do at this point, at this point to deal with this issue? I'm going to throw it to General Biomi to do this conclusion for us. What is the way forward for the issues that we're dealing with at the moment? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, in my opinion, the way forward first, is social mobilization. Uh, we must mobilize Nigerians to know that it's a collective effort. We are at risk. Every part of Nigeria is at risk. Therefore, all efforts must be made to key in everybody and say it is all our, I mean, it's an all-inclusive thing. We must all be part of it. Then you bring in the, the issue of the civil-military uh, relationship. I want to say a bit about that because uh, the military and the civil really shouldn't have too much relationship. It is the government of the day who mobilizes the people to believe. Because when you see the military, you are almost seeing the government. So how far can the military go with civil, the whole Nigeria? No. What the government should do, which is still part of that social mobilization, is go out there and tell Nigerians that these people are working on your behalf. You must support them. Provide them with what they need and which you can achieve through social mobilization. And there's other thing called psychological warfare. We want to win the hearts and minds of the people. What are we doing for them? We must provide infrastructures to make them believe that you are, I mean, you care for them. 
If you don't do that and you ask them to just be part of you, I'm sorry, you will not get positive re response. But then you want somebody to give you their, their support. They must be seen, they must see you doing something for them. Put structures in place. That's where Katuma talked about the ungoverned spaces. Yes, why are they ungoverned? No government presence, no infrastructure, nothing for them. Then they grow up and live by themselves and you come in and say they must support you. They will not support you. I will also want to still repeat that the way forward is one of the things is to reorientate ourselves and create a multi-agency cooperation center where there will be synergy between everybody involved in the security architecture, individuals. Uh, during the Civil War, if we could remember, that was a slogan, go on with one Nigeria. I was young then, but then everybody knew what it was. And the civil defense then were going around the whole country from one place to the other, educating people, mobilizing people. The NOA, which was not NOA at that time, were also doing the whole thing. So the whole nation approach was, we were all mobilized. We all believe in the cause of one Nigeria. And we use that to successfully finish the civil war. Now we have this insurgency. These are Nigerians. They live within us. Most of them are Nigerians. I will not say all. Most of them are Nigerians and they live within us. They are our brothers, they are sisters. We can reach out to them individually and say, this is no good. But Nigeria as a whole must present itself as the holy one, as the righteous one. Going forward again is the issue of joint tax force. We must make concerted effort to make sure the military go back to the real jointness that we preach. We go, we go to school, we read about this thing, so we should be able to practice it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, General. But just before we let you go, I need you to respond as fast as you can to this question. I mean, where does where does the police come in, in the fight against insurgency? And where do they come in to help deal with this thing? And will increasing the strength of the police force help in any way to deal with this? Very briefly. Very, yes, very important. You need to increase the strength of the police. But right now, there are about 370,000, according to them. And uh, how do they cover Nigeria? Especially now that a lot of them have been involved in VIP protections all over the place. How many of them are remaining to do the proper job? In where you have synergy between the agencies of government, the army and the should be brothers. When the stress is too much for the police, we bring in the armed forces. And as soon as the armed forces subdue the situation, police should come in naturally to ensure further law and order is maintained. Police are not actually supposed to be deployed for combat, but then the army will subdue the ground and they should be there. But to me, we don't have enough policemen to take over from the army. So when the army moves away, the vacuum is there. Who, who, I mean, who protect the citizens? Nobody, because the policemen are not enough to do that. So we need to massively recruit policemen and then get retired people, policemen, who can be used as a lot of retired military men who can be used at any time and they'll be, be happy doing what they have to do for their country. So we must look in those directions. When it's not everybody that is tired, that is weak. So those strong ones, you can still use them rather than shouting every day, there's no manpower. So the way forward is let us sit down, re replan, re-strategize, and we can get there. Thank you very much, General, for that.
um, we're going to uh, um, give a few minutes, five minutes actually, for every other person who want to ask questions. I know there are a few other people here. John Dakum, we can see you. Fataya Tonda, we can see you. Kolawale, Olato Sindhu, um, John Okoro, um, there are a lot of other people somewhere. We can see you. Mustafa Ade, I, sorry, I can't see the entire of your name. Um, but I will take this to um, Captain Umar. Um, I'd, I'd like you to wrap this up also. You know, um, where, what is the way forward? The way forward, I can say politically, we need statescraftmen. Everybody claims to be a leader now. Pan-Yoruba leader, Pan-Hausa leader, Pan-Igbo leader, and what have you. Leaders, leaders everywhere. What we need is statescraftmanship. And it's not for everyone because you either have it or you don't have it. Other than states craftsmanship, quick, low-hanging fruit solutions to this incubus, I have sent to three state governors through their security advisors a very potent aerial solution that can stop the free movement of kidnappers. I hope they tend to it. I'm waiting to hear from them. Borno, Niger, and Kedu's energy, they give you a 124-kilometer coverage, radius coverage, day and night. So if anybody picks our children, we just let him go home. Our cameras will follow him home from up there, some 1,500 feet above the ground. That's where technology, as the general said, comes in. Next, what do we need? We also need a homeland security force. As the general has said, it is laughable for any politician to tell us we don't have manpower. There are 200 million sons and daughters of this country alive now. 102 million of them fall between the ages of 18 and 34, according to the National Bureau of Statistics, the last time I checked. Now, look at this. Despite, despite our 200 million population, we have a footprint, a geographical landmass of 900,000 square kilometers or thereabouts. 60 years after independence, Nigeria cannot boast of a one security operative per square kilometer potential in Nigeria. If you add up Army, Air Force, Navy, civil defense, just mention all of them, we cannot bring in 900,000 security men so we can boast of one security man per one square kilometer. No, it's unacceptable. So we can have a homeland security force. Having a homeland security force will bolster what we have in the Air Force, Army, Navy, police, civil defense, customs, immigration, you name it, so that technology can back that up. So I'm just going to wrap it up while, and after that, we will take the questions um, from every other person. Camry, what, what do you think? What is your take on all of this? Where do we go from here? Um, I'm focused on mid to long-term initiatives and uh, sustainable solutions. Uh, right now, we have a fire that needs putting out. Um, while putting out the fire, we need to keep a lookout for the mid to long-term solutions. Uh, every 20 years, countries have a chance and opportunity to redesign themselves 
I don't want to use the word reorientation because uh, whenever you bring up the word orientation in Nigeria, we all say, what's the NOA doing? Uh, in my humble opinion, they are underfunded, understaffed to do the massive job that's required. But that's a different discussion. Um, education. Uh, we need to raise our conscious level of thinking. Our collective consciousness must be heightened. We are the elite. Um, uh, you know, uh, everybody on this platform right now is considered an elite Nigerian because we are exposed, we're educated and so on. But there's a great number of Nigerians who are uneducated, who affect our lives, especially during elections. There's scores of people who vote in <coughs> villages. They don't have the knowledge that you have. So uh, their, num their, their votes will, you know, overtake yours and determine your life. So I'm always focused on education. Um, people with better, uh, uh, you know, sense of reasoning tend to make better choices. Then from the government's perspective, we need to focus on social security. We need to create a situation that tells every Nigerian citizen that if you do not have a job, you don't have to go and break the law. You will be looked after in one way or the other. We need to put that in place. And the government needs to set the framework down, lay the groundwork and let the private sector drive growth and development. Uh, we're still in that in-between place where uh, we are, um, uh, how would I put it, uh, uh, seeing the government offload some of its um, unqualified responsibilities. The government has no business in business. So we're still in that in-between space. It's the private sector that creates jobs. If you create more jobs, people that have options tend to make smarter choices. But uh, what happens right now, just like Captain Malio has pointed out, we have a hugely uh, youthful population, very in a sense of desperation in people because the future is uncertain. And then the political uh, agenda, as I spoke about, I spoke about earlier on, that is creating doubt in the people's confidence in the ability of the government to do the job that needs to be done. So I, I think these are the areas we need to focus on. Social security, uh, education, these are generation-long programs. While we're putting out the fires, I do agree, yeah, we need technology, we need commitment, we need a higher sense of patriotism so that we can put out these fires today and then start to stave off tomorrow's fires before they even start. Thank you. All right, Camry, thank you very much for that. Um, I, I'm going to allow Sonny Dachaba to do a wrap-up. Um, Kola Wale, I can see your messages, but I'll have you talk. <laughs> I'd like to hear your voice. So let's, um, Sonny Dachaba, just wrap, wrap up this, and then we'll take the questions and the comments from every other person. Sonny, is Thank you very you. much. Thank you very much, Nelly. In my perspective, I think the primary function of every government is to ensure that citizens are well protected. So far, that has not really the case here. There's a, a, a saying that uh, the government is aware. Whether it is true or false, I don't know. But then, we need to ask ourselves certain questions. Bandits, whether we call them bandits or kidnappers or criminals, they cannot be stronger than the government. The government has all the structure. They have everything in place to protect the citizens. It's not too much for uh, the government to come out and protect citizens in times of crisis like we have currently in the country. Okay. Let the government come out in all sincerity and deal with this nonsense so that Nigerians can live in peace. We don't need to continue to live our lives like this. I don't have to be a Muslim before I can get certain position. I don't have to be Christian to get certain position. I don't have to know someone before I can get certain position. Government need to set the record right so that people can follow. In that case, some of these crises we're having in form of banditry, kidnapping, and the rest of them may be solved. Okay? We may have to blame the people, yes, but to me, the greatest blame goes to the government. Let the government come out clean on what they are doing behind the scene or outside the scene. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sonny Dachaba. We are grateful. We have a few people who seem to want to say something. Um, let's hear from Kolawole Olatosimi. Kolawole, can we hear you, please? 
Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I just want to agree with virtually all the speakers. And uh, my name is Kola Wilolotosimi from the Child and Potential Foundation. And I think uh, another long time um, solution to the issue of insecurity and badgery in Nigeria is that government need to consciously uh, begin to invest in the welfare of the people especially in very high prone areas like in the Northeast and some part of the South, South and the Southeast. And, and also government needs to also know that uh, when you have some helpful uh, traditional practices like the Alimajiri system, um, street walking, chat labor, it increases crime rate. Uh, I, I've told people severally, when you look at the, 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 the life of an Alimajiri child on the street, whether in Kastina Kano, what happens to that child in the next 10 years? These are weapons used by criminals. And so when you take children off the street, because I, I work with children and young youth, when you take children off the street, when you em employ youth or create an avenue for youth inclusiveness in the, in the society, then you address the issue of insecurity long term. So uh, like, like Camry said, which I totally agree with Camry, that put out the fire, but we need to ensure that the fire does not come back in the next five years. And that is why we need to put some social economic um, projects in place. We need to invest. This government needs to invest in the welfare and the well-being of the people. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much, Kolawole, for that. Um, I, I, I see the sense of what you're saying, because these are, these are issues that we have raised over the years and we had said with the huge number of illiteracy and, you know, um, penury, as it were, that we see in certain parts of the country, it's only normal that these things, you know, we, we, we are where we are today because of this. I, I remember when we went for some field work and we went to some communities, you know, um, around the north, and we had, you know, especially amongst the Heather communities where they kept saying, you know, provide schools for our children. So at least you can get them engaged and they would not probably be like us, you know. So I, I think education and a level of exposure will do, you know, would help us in the long run. Because when you have things to do, when you are um, busy and occupied, probably the last thing on your mind will be this level of madness that we see around the country. Um, Dakum wants to say something. John Dakum, can we have you talk, please? I wanted to say that the security of the... Uh, the welfare of the security operatives is also important. You send somebody there to put there, and then you don't give him welfare. And so he will depend on some other people to get what he wants. I mean, if you send somebody, he needs food, the bandit might give him food. And so he will not be, his allegiance will be to the bandit and not to the country. And I think that is very important. And some of them have complained about that. Okay, I, I guess that's why we, we still see some people who are sympathetic to you know, even the extremists, and you, you begin to wonder why. I, I guess this kind of explains, you know, why things like this happen. Anyway, um, I think we have John Okoro who wants to speak. Yes. Uh, Great. One of the solutions for me to really uh, nip the problem of uh, insecurity uh, is to, to decentralize policing in the country. We have to decentralize policing in the country. There is no way uh, a single individual, the IG of police, will sit in Abuja and control the whole internal security apparatus in the country. It is not possible. And some of uh, the overspill in crime that we see today is as a result of uh, the failure of internal policing in the country. Crime is local. Crime is local. Crime is local. 
Therefore, there's no way you can exclude the states and the local governments from policing because internal security is very, very important. Some of these things in this country today that we bring in the emphasis are actually the responsibility of the police. Yes, there are some areas like in the war against terrorism in the Northeast where the emphasis could come in, but actually have a prerogative because that is a full scale war. But you see the like issues of banditry and the rest of them. These are pure police operations of which I believe that the police can actually handle it. But because of the way we have structured the policing system, internal security in the country today, these things are not working. And what's happening now is as while the sophistry, the sophistication and the ability of the criminals to perform what they do every day, which is to commit crime, keep on increasing every day, the ability of our police and our security architecture continues to dwindle. We must decentralize internal policing in the country where we bring the police, where we bring the states and the local government on board as key stakeholders to the whole issue and the whole gamut of security in the country. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. John Okoro. Um, do we have um, Ewoma, you want to add to this? Ewoma Fataya Tonda, do you want to add to this? Okay, yeah, just um, good morning, everybody. Just want to uh, commend all the various um, speakers. It has been a very insightful uh, session. Just want to greet you all. Well done. Thank you. Very much. Um, we yeah. have a few comments. This is still from John. We need to withdraw security men from those who are not entitled. Um, when one person has 10 policemen assigned to him, it's unacceptable. Captain Umar also said, um, indeed, much needs to be done today to capture and shape the future of youths in Nigeria. However, to snuff out the threats decisively determines if the mid and long term solutions can even sit at all. And um, John says the welfare of the security operatives is also important. So we want to say thank you for taking the time off every week when we have a poll out. We actually have another poll out and it's a tolerance poll. Um, I guess that's, that's a conversation for Nigerians considering, you know, the issues we have with tolerance, especially religious tolerance and um, ethno-religious tolerance really across Nigeria in the, in the last few years has been really, really bad. So I, I, I guess that when we're looking at the tolerance poll, possibly next week, we'll also reach out to all of you.